The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. How important can it be for medical practitioners, doctors, and nurses to discover and fix a gap of care in the treatment of patients. In many cases, it can be a matter of life and death. For example, before handwashing between procedures became standard practice, many patients died from transferred infections. It was only when medical staff came to understand that their own dirty hands could be the source of the problem, could carry bacteria invisible to the naked eye, spreading disease from patient to patient, that the use of soap and sanitizer began to save millions of lives. In the same way, there can be psychological gaps in medical practice that can harm patients, too. Here's an unlikely example. Say an agnostic doctor told a faithful Christian patient about to undergo surgery that praying to Jesus was futile, useless, and a waste of time. It would be an act of psychological malpractice that could frighten and stress the patient and should at least earn the doctor a reprimand. As I said, such a situation seems highly unlikely. Yet today there is an equivalent practice just as cruel and potentially as harmful, and that is the failure of doctors and nurses to acknowledge, listen to, and respect patient reports of near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. As a hospital chaplain for 15 years, I lost count of the hundreds of times I had to apologize to patients for the way they were treated when telling some staff person about what they saw during an NDE, when their heart stopped or their failing body opened a door in some way to an experience of the other side. They'd start telling their doctor or nurse about what they saw when their soul left their body, only to be put down with remarks like, oh, you were dreaming, you were hallucinating. It was the effects of the anesthesia. It was the dying of the optic nerve, the release of brain chemicals, etc., etc. Anything but acknowledge and respect that the patient had experienced what to them was a miracle, a personal, mystical enlightenment, a gift from God, and therefore a reason to live. The NDE experience, which patients often describe as more real than real, is as important psychologically and can be as healing as that stent that got inserted or that tumor just removed. Conversely, ridiculing that patient's vision can be as harmful as a doctor not washing his hands before operating. Many listeners out there have heard similar stories of such a medical gap in care, and so should be excited by news brought by our two guests today, Lily Samoilo and Heidi Walsh. In brief, the news is that as prestigious an institution as Johns Hopkins is initiating a source that can be permanently available to medical staff, for educating themselves on how to fill this gap concerning the NDE experience. So let me introduce our guests. Lilia Samoilo, a return guest to the show, is a near-death experiencer who has been a mental health and spiritual counselor for over 35 years. As a minister and an international veteran NDE educator, she coined the phrase, closing the medical and spiritual gap of care for NDE patients, and spent years raising awareness about NDEs worldwide to medical professionals and clergy. Lelia is an associate of Dr. Diane Corcoran's VET NDE project, and both of them were invited by Heidi Walsh to be co-commentary authors 
for the NIB NDE Symposium published by Muse by Johns Hopkins University Press in the May 2020 issue. Heidi Walsh, our other guest, is the managing editor for Narrative Inquiry and Bioethics, a journal of qualitative research, NIB. NIB is published on behalf of the NIB Foundation, a nonprofit charitable organization committed to fostering education and research in bioethics. The journal publishes personal stories that describe complex human experiences, and Volume 10, Number 1, is titled Healthcare After a Near Death Experience. In addition, Heidi is a senior project manager in the Bioethics Research Center at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis and has worked in clinical settings with emergency and behavioral health patients in the past, sparking her passion for finding ways to improve the patient experience. Heidi has a master's degree in public health and is a certified health education specialist. So, Lilia and Heidi, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Liz. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, Lilia, let me begin with you. Uh, you've worked for about a year with Heidi in putting this project together. So, how did you happen to get involved? Well, it came by a simple request from Dr. Diane Corcoran. Um, Lilia, I received this from the Narrative Inquiry in Bioethics. They're looking for someone to help them find NDE subjects um, for their NDE symposium. Please contact them and will you take care of this so that's how it began and it's been an outstanding um, relationship uh, between myself and the near-death experiencers who contributed along with the NIB staff especially um, Heidi Walsh it's um, just been a magnificent experience and I'm so proud to be part of it now, uh, Lilia, you got uh, 12 of the 18 NDE stories together, as I understand it, uh, that yeah. are there to help te teach medical practitioners what NDEs are all about. Were the experiencers you talked to happy about sharing their stories? They were thrilled because they knew that the outcome would be educating medical professionals and uh, possibly clergy or even the general public that near-death experiences are real to, the, to them as experiencers, and they were hoping that this, um, this symposium would teach them um, that the medical doctors, by not listening to their self-reports, actually created this, the term I coined, which is the gap of care. Mm. So I helped Heidi, them not only, oh, excuse me. No, I was just going to go on and ask Heidi, uh, what inspired uh, her to do a symposium on NDEs? Yeah, so in December of 2018, the NIB co-editor-in-chief, uh, Dr. James Dubois, approached the editors and I with the idea of doing a symposium on near-death experiences. Um, Dr. Dubois had recently read an article by John Hagen III in the journal Clinical Oncology called The Near-Death Experience Diagnosis and Treatment of a Common Medical Syndrome. The article detailed how approximately 20% of patients who require resuscitation report having an NDE. However, healthcare providers largely receive no training on how to respond or support these patients. And um, I have to tell you that even with those compelling statistics, I at first was not convinced that NDEs were a topic that NIB should cover. Um, I feared that our readers who are primarily academics who are interested in bioethics would question why we were covering a topic that 
maybe isn't as understood or accepted in the medical world. Um, NIB has a reputation as a distinguished and trustworthy academic publication, and I didn't yet understand the bioethical issues involved with NDEs, um, you know, which you've just gone over with the gap of care. But Dr. Dubois really pushed for us to cover this topic, and we ended up putting out a call for stories. It was very slow to start, um, but then I got that call from Lilia, who offered her help, and um, that's when, when really the issue took off, and we ended up collecting 18 total first-person stories from people who had experienced an NDE. Yeah, you couldn't have had a, a better helper than Lilia. Right. I, I know that for a fact. Um, did you have any resistance from others at Johns Hopkins or at the NIB Foundation? Um, well, I yeah, I don't think I was alone in, in my hesitation, but Jim really... Um, was persistent and insisted that we do the issue. And um, so we did. And I think all of us are really pleased with the outcome. Mm. Now, I have to ask you personally, did this work work you did on this project change you and your ideas about um, life and death uh, for yourself in any way? So I worked with the NDE authors for over a year at least, um, and their stories were so interesting to me, and I, I just love hearing everyone's stories um, in general, so this job is really a great fit for me. But it wasn't until I was editing the final proofs and I first read the symposium from cover to cover that I said, wow, we have done a great job at demonstrating that it doesn't matter what the scientific truth is behind what causes NDEs, and it doesn't matter what my spiritual beliefs are. I can listen without judgment, and the medical community can listen. And at a minimum, we can validate and support patients when they tell us that they've experienced what turns out to be an NDE. Because anytime a patient is not being supported, that needs to be confronted. Mm. As a chaplain, I found that uh, not only experiencers, but uh, those people who had not had an NDE, for example, but had heard a story, uh, were often moved by those stories and, and, uh, and given hope from, from the notion that, yes, there is a loving God on the other side and that, uh, and that uh, we, we just don't end when our bodies die. Um, I, I was uh, wondering if um, you'd gotten any feedback since the May issue uh, from from any doctors or nurses or others who uh, who, who um, were affected positively or negatively by this project. Um, we've gotten some 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 interest in it, and um, I think that you know we're all working from home currently, so it's hard. I haven't run into colleagues like I normally would. But um, there's no doubt that the people who read these stories and read the symposium will take away that, um, you know, discounting a patient's report of a near-death experience or even encouraging patients to not talk about their NDs can really affect their well-being and impact their long-term physical and mental health, along with relationships with loved ones. A lot of the authors mention, you know, they were really hurt when loved ones didn't believe them and when healthcare providers dismissed them. So it turns out that it's definitely a bioethical issue and um, healthcare workers aren't, aren't provided education typically about this. And um, these aren't uncommon experiences for people. No, there are estimated 700 plus, maybe seven, as many as 770 uh, according to one Gallup poll taken several years ago, per day 
wow. in this in this country alone. So worldwide, they're they're extremely common. Yeah. Uh, and yet, uh, up until recently, when books have been written and movies made on the subject, uh, an awful lot of people thought it was you know the work of the devil or <laughs> or a total hallucination. Do you have some of the titles of some of the uh, articles right there? Yeah. Um, tell 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 the audience what sorts of uh, topics got covered in the in these uh, um, eighteen. You don't have to read them all, but just to give them a a, a broad uh, sampling well, of the articles you, available. One of the very first um, proposals that I received was from Stephanie Arnold. Her story, um, intuition, told me I would die. No one believed me. Ble- sorry, no one believed it would save my life. I love her story. Um, it's an amazing account of how she thought that um, she would die. She she had a premonition about it and tried to tell everyone that she could, and no one believed her until finally a surgeon listened and it ended up saving her life. Um, The Place in Between, um, The Other Side of Heaven by Peter Anthony, I think he's been on your program, Uh, A Physician's Near-Death Experience. Um, Yeah, these are all just fabulous. Childhood NDE life experiences shown for the next 50 years. I was really glad that we could have Bill McDonald um, contribute um, his story. Yes. And, um, one amazing thing that happened during when I was collecting stories was I was telling my, uh, husband's aunt about the symposium. And she said to me, Oh, I've had an experience like that. I had no idea she had experienced uh, a near death experience before. And so she, she wrote a story for the, um, symposium. Her story is entitled, do angels really exist? Um, Jeannie Barbin is her name. Mm. This is uh, th- th- this gives I think the listeners uh, an idea of what you're exposing the, um, medical staff to through through the journal, and I'm wondering. Um, well, right now it's a it's a limited readership. It's a closed readership, right, because of the of the way the structure is um, set up at Johns Hopkins. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, uh, would you know approximately how many people have have um, read this so far? I don't have those numbers, but I can tell you that about 1,600 institutions throughout the world have access to NIB through subscription, but um, NIB is only available to subscribers, um, which really limits our impact to mainly people who have access through a university. Mm. So those 1,600, say, uh, hospital libraries, for example, or university libraries? Yes, mainly medical schools. Medical schools, mm-hmm. so, um, but you don't have, you wouldn't have an idea right now as to how many readers would have easy access to it without having to buy the journal. No, it's 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 limited for sure. Yeah. Now, what with the right funding, it's going to be possible to open this up to everybody, as I understand it. Tell us how that would work. Yeah, Lily and I um, are committed to raising money so that we can make these stories available, open access to the general public in perpetuity um, in a publication called Voices. And Voices can be accessed for free to everyone, and it can be shared without any restrictions. Um, And like you uh, mentioned earlier, the journal is published by a nonprofit, um, 
and all gifts are tax deductible. Our goal is to raise $25,000. That money goes towards paying the press's licensing fee, as well as for our efforts in putting the publication together and creating a discussion guide to pair with the publication. And the discussion guide can be used in ethics, education, and professional training. Mm. So this is something that might be available to hospital chaplains as well, ultimately. Yes. um, Chaplains, family members, nurses, whoever would have an interest in this, they could easily find it and access it if we're able to to raise the money. Um, And Lily and I both believe that that could go far to closing the gap of care just by increasing awareness about what an appropriate response is when someone reveals to you that they've had this experience. Mm. Yeah, I'm particularly excited about the notion that chaplains might have uh, some authentic medical-based <laughs> um, uh, journals that they can turn to, material that they could could look at and study. Because, believe it or not, one of the one of the roadblocks I found in dealing with other chaplains on this very subject uh, was that uh, their religion, whether it was it was usually some mainline church, Catholic or or Lutheran, or or what have you, was um, fundamentally doubtful about the whole NDE experience, and mm-hmm. and so it handicapped the chaplains terribly. In in when it came time for them to sit down and listen to a patient's experience, I would get calls from other chaplains saying, "I just heard this strange story from a patient. Maybe you should talk to them." And so <laughs> I would go down and I'd hear the story and I'd know immediately what they were talking about, and I could. But all chaplains should should be able to do this, even if they don't necessarily accept it as part of their faith. They should definitely have the ability to deal in a in a rational and kindly and understanding way, an empathetic way with the person who has had this experience. And I think ultimately they would begin to understand the power and the truth of these experiences as well as a result. So I think this project has got... Um, you know, enormous potential in teaching not only medical, but also chaplains, religious staff, and the families that get counseled by the chaplains. You know, if a if a husband comes and says, my wife just told me this weird story, chaplain, and it's about some experience she had out of body watching them try to resuscitate her while she was on the operating table or something like that, the chaplain would know what to say. He'd know what to do. Yeah. He'd know how to explain it. And down the line, this might actually save some of the divorces that have come out of misunderstandings about NDEs in people's lives. Yes. Um, we actually use the stories at, at Washington University. Um, I'm also a project manager there uh, to teach ethics sessions with WashU physicians and trainees. And I think our model could also work for chaplains and other professionals um, who may come across uh, people that have had these experiences because the training really works to increase the clinician's awareness of the patient experiences. And then we highlight the importance of listening and validating, supporting patients. And we ask the trainees to imagine and discuss how they would react to the situation that's told in the story. So it gives them, the trainees, the tools that prepare them to interact appropriately when they find themselves in these real life uh, similar situations. Mm. And how how did that get uh, come to be, that program that, that you're 
just describing? Um, well, so I work in in a uh, bioethics research center, and it's uh, something we do. The physicians have to have a certain number of ethics credits, so this counts towards their their ethics um, credit. And uh, they're very popular because we don't just lecture at people. It's a conversation. And um, people have reported to us leaving with a a real sense of um, understanding. Um, And um, I think they're incredibly effective, Mm. just personal stories in general, to to understand others' experiences and um, um, give some empathy to, to others. Sure. And Lilia, this is an area that I know you've worked with vets and uh, with medical people, as has Diane Corcoran, in in trying to um, validate the importance of listening to NDE uh, reports. And um, it's been, I know, very frustrating because uh, military people are afraid that they will be considered crazy if they talk about something that happened to them while they were wounded or while they were on the operating table. Uh, you want to talk yeah. a little about how this might spread through the military, uh, especially the VA? Um, well, yes, and they're very hard to, they're a hard nut to crack. Um, and I think that this NDE symposium, what it calls um, the attention to, and especially our article, is that this the gap of care is created this gap is created, and it's 100% preventable. But the, uh, as far as combat soldiers, the reason why I steered towards that area in the beginning, and I've been doing this with Dr. Corcoran for seven years, is because um, the combat soldier wakes up. It's the most profound experience he's ever had. And he's, um, if he discusses it, they throw him into the psych ward and give him drugs, and they lose their security clearance. And there's no group of NDE experiencers that I found in general, that go through more than a combat soldier uh, when they can't talk about their experience out of fear or ridicule, and they have moral injuries, post-traumatic stress, uh, you know, physical bodily injuries. Um, it just exacerbates it when they can't talk about this. They can't do a self-report. But in general, I, I have to just say I am so proud of uh, Mr. Dubois and Heidi and all the individuals who contributed this symposium it was uh, participating with a group of people that took these stories. They were unbiased. They, the whole time, there was no judgment. They published the stories of these experiences as they were given. There was no mm. altering. Um, they gave us a free hand at expressing ourselves as subject experts. And uh, Diane's contribution and education for 50 years and the call that the curriculum be uh, brought to medical schools and to have a standard operating procedure was very important. Doctors understanding they're actually creating the gap by not collecting the self-reports of patients. Um, and this is absolutely 100% preventable if they implement um, the strategies that, that were outlined in the commentary author, uh, uh, the commentary that Diane and I wrote. So yes. will it be in- impactful? Absolutely. Why? Because it's noting worldwide with medical professionals and healthcare workers um, don't create this gap. And, and when it does happen, this is the way that you can help close it. It rolls all the way out to the family. Why it's beneficial to have this open access, I just experienced that contrast. When, when John Hopkins released this due to COVID virus, 
um, they released it, open access. I was able to circulate that information to prominent people, not even just in the medical field, but in, you know, psychiatrists, sociologists, ambulance workers, nurses, uh, clergy, and even the general public. Why is that important to have that much open access? You're talking about open access forever, which means researchers, school teachers, uh, they can pick up this symposium and start talking to their students in the classroom. Uh, they can start bringing in this up in ministry school, medical school. In the absence of the medical professionals, including this in the curriculum, uh, this gap of care will live forever. And if those doctors who are reading this, and it's just subject to the medical professionals who maybe not be interested and they may look sideways about this, um, you're not going to have the impact. It's just not going to have the impact to put the curriculum in place in medical school and develop a standard operating pr procedure for medical staff, not only to not create it, but when it is created to help prevent it. Right. So, so this when is, you bring it this... out, to, when you bring it, when you bring it out to the general public, you're helping me as an experiencer. You're helping someone who loves an experiencer. And it, it goes very broad and it'll be forever. Yeah. And that's really important. So that's what we want to see happen with this. It's this ongoing project that is possible if we can if we can raise the money. So Heidi, tell us um how you know how uh people could contribute to um to make this happen and um and then, if the money is raised, um, how it will how the um, program will be promoted. Mm -hmm. So, individuals who want to donate any amount five dollars, twenty dollars, whatever you're able to give, um, they can go to our website nibjournal.org, uh, click on the support tab, then click on donate, and there you'll be able to select from a drop-down menu what you want your donation to go towards. So for this, you will select healthcare after a near-death experience and then enter your, your payment details. Um, also, if any organizations are interested in sponsoring the issue, um, we can put their logo, um, advertise their, their logo in the issue. Um, if they're interested, they can reach out to me at Narrative Bioethics, that's all one word, Narrative Bioethics, at gmail.com um, or from the website you can click on contact us and you can reach me that way um, so if we're successful which i really think we we will be um, we've done this in the past with other issues that we really felt it was important to to get um, them out into the to the masses um, but we'll we'll use the the money to like i said pay the press's uh, licensing fee first and foremost and then um, also, you know, creating that discussion guide will create curriculum um, at WashU and push that out to our followers so that they can also use it freely, um, the curriculum to, to teach ethics sessions at, at their institutions. Um, we, we have a newsletter that goes out with over 2,000 subscribers. We can, we can push it that way and push it on all of our social media pages. It's really um, a goal of mine, and I think Lilia, to, to get this done. And I think we will succeed, but we could sure use uh, your help. Well, I think this would be tr tremendous for chaplains, too, and for the education process that they go through in order to become uh, certified chaplains in, in, in either hospitals, prisons, or and or the military, uh, it, it's going to be uh, tre tremendously valuable in so many ways. I can't um, 
I, I can't uh, be happier than <laughs> than I am about uh, having you guys on the show t- to talk about this. And uh, we will post those two um, uh, addresses uh, on our website with this with the show. So if anyone wants to go in, if they didn't get what you, I'll have you repeat it, Heidi. Actually, why don't sure. you, why don't you go ahead and do that again? Sure. So um, the the website is um, nib. Sorry. Um, let me give you the my email address first. It's narrativebioethics at gmail.com. And again, the website is nibjournal.org. Uh, click on support, click on donate, and then use the drop down menu to select that you'd like your donation to go to healthcare after a near death experience. And again, um, all contributions are um, uh, tax deductible. We're a, we're a 501c3. So terrific. May um, I also offer if may I also offer that if there's anybody that would like more information about closing the medical gap of care, um, they can contact Lilia Samoilo at nde goc at outlook.com. I'll repeat it again, Lilia. Yes, uh, the email address would be nde goc at outlook.com and I'd be happy to respond to anybody's interest or request oh that's terrific well guys we are out of time for today uh, but thank you so much to Lilia Samoilo and Heidi Walsh for sharing the story of their project and their goals to inform doctors and nurses of the importance of giving attention and respect to patients who want to tell them about their out of body or near death experiences Lee, thank you so much for for having me. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Well, I I think that this will be um, of great interest because so many of my audience over the years have told me about how they got burned by some rude doctor or some nurse who just blew them off because they didn't want to hear anything about uh, a near-death experience. They're doctors who would just turn around and walk out of the room without saying another word. Yeah, it's. it's I would like to say something as well. Um, Anyone listening, you can make uh, a contribution, a life that will have a lifelong impact on people who have these experiences, and actually help shape the progress of helping to close the gap of care. So, anything Mm -hmm. you do to contribute, I'd be very appreciative. And also, um, those who would be listening to this in the future, uh, with the NIB arena. Um, please reach out to Lee Whitting's um, INS NDE radio for over 300 self-reports of NDEs. <laughs> Thank you, Lilia. Well, to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, as Lilia just said, go to NDE radio, hit the past shows button. And for those regular listeners, um, we have some exciting new apps for iPhones and Androids. They're free for the downloading So um, that makes it especially easy if you like to go out jogging or you're in your car and you want to listen to a a half-hour episode of NDE Radio. So tune in again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for the next uh, episode of NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.